You're listening to the Around the Lens podcast, the home of high-quality, roundtable, visual journalism discussion about the news, topics, and gear related to our career field. Now, here's the host of our show, David J. Murphy. Hello, and welcome to episode 249 of Around the Lens, our penultimate episode. I'm here with a whole host of co-hosts and guests, so I can't wait to introduce them. Uh, let's start, with, of course, with our co-hosts, our regular co-hosts. Joining us from New York is Travis Keyes, a commercial photographer. Hello, Travis. How are you? I'm not stressed at all. No anxiety. I'm fine. Why do you ask? <laughs> I, I have no reason why anyone would possibly be stressed or under anxiety right now on November 2nd, 2020. Yeah, add context, it's the night before the election. <laughs> well, over here in South Korea, it's actually November 3rd, so that know, doesn't make any difference whatsoever. <laughs> All I know is I will I'm, I'm be good. getting the results. It'll be like the afternoon tomorrow. I'll be at lunch while the probably the final results are I don't know. I don't know what that means. <laughs> we'll see. It's going to be, be a late day. night for you, and it'll just be another day for me. But uh, glad to have we'll you see. back, Travis, in, the, be in back. these before times. <laughs> we'll see what happens after. Anyways, uh, joining us from Washington, D.C. is a freelance photojournalist, Evelyn Hoxstein. Welcome back, Evelyn. It's been too long. You're muted. You're muted. You're muted. <laughs> um, okay. It hey. has been too long. God, I'll unmute myself. Um, but yes, hi, hi, everybody. It's good to be back. For uh, sure. Sorry, it's been a little busy with the election, pre-election run-up, and now I'm just right. sitting here biting all my nails off waiting for tomorrow. Oh, yeah. I mean, in D.C. itself, I mean, how is the uh, atmosphere in D.C.? Um, you know, I think everyone I know is just very much on edge. I think D.C. itself is pretty quiet. I think if our, depending on the result of the election, it could either be celebratory or it could be very tense and stressful and potential for pro- a lot of, you know, protests and potential violence um, here. So I'm sort of on standby. And I just came from Western Pennsylvania this morning and it was a different vibe. So Pennsylvania is definitely Trump. I was in Trump country the whole time. And uh, yeah. How are you spending the day tomorrow? Tomorrow I am on, I start work like evening. I'm on standby for the post um, White House, see what happens around 6 p.m. So that's my my job, my duty. So I'm just... (laughs) This is the first time I've ever had to go to a security briefing before a U.S. election. And I've covered a lot of election violence. I mean, my, you know, 2008 in Kenya, I covered post-election violence. We called it the PEV. And I've been sitting here talking to all my um, colleagues who covered that, saying, I can't believe I'm sitting and, like, making plans for the PEV in the United States. It's pretty shocking. So hopefully it doesn't come to that. But, but yeah, just trying to be prepared, safe, you know, uh, ready for whatever comes. Stressful. Yeah. Give your body armor, helmet, face shield, gas mask. Ready? All of it. Yep. Ready to go. I really hope I don't put it on. So you, Evelyn, you, 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 you missed it when I said like that. That means I was telling Travis that means nothing's gonna happen, right? Like in my head, I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get a Pulitzer for all these shots I'm taking tomorrow, which means it'll never happen, right? I'll get all pumped for it. It's not for this. How about that? I, I mean, and everyone, it's just, yeah, I really hope it doesn't happen. So it's better to be prepared. Like one of the editors today said, take your umbrella on vacation and that way it won't rain. So, you know, See? Right? Right? right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, you know, I mean, looking at how the you know, votes will be counted and everything, I don't think we're going to have a final by the end right. of the night. So I don't think if there right. is going to be violence, it's going to erupt that early. I think it'll probably erupt, if anything, the Wednesday. few weeks. Hopefully yeah, there's nothing. We, we, I think it's sort of Baltimore on Wednesday. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, we'll be on whatever day it comes or doesn't come. But it just it's just distressing. I mean, the fact that we're talking about this, like when, yeah. you know, it's, it no, it's, it's not supposed to be like this. You know, you're not supposed to see, you know, all the stores boarding up in New York City and other cities across the U.S., you know, you know, in preparation for what might happen. And, uh, you know, you, you're not supposed to have a president say, well, we're supposed to, you know, they're supposed to call it on November 3rd. If we don't have a, we don't have a, a decision on November 3rd, something's not right. I'm like, well, if you actually know how the election works, it's never verified on the third ever yeah, but in the history of hilarious. It's going to be hilarious watching his ass backpedal and be like, well, we have to wait for the write-ins. I, now I we have, have to count them. Yeah. Now we have <laughs> we to have wait have. for the write-ins because I, I'm not stepping down. We uh, can't go deep too deep in this because you, you'll see David's face just go blank and quiet here. <laughs> and he's like, can you guys talk about yeah. your macro snowflake photography? And that's because he's in the military and he can't kind of voice this up. Not because he's one side or the other. Sight. I was wondering about your. I was stationed in Korea. Oh, you were. I was, I was wondering. 
Yeah, yeah. I was up at Camp Market, and um, and then, then I was at Young Son Garrison. Oh yeah, I was a military. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah that's where. Yeah, Young Son is is right in the heart of Seoul, so that's yeah, yeah. not a bad yeah. place I was, to be stationed. One thing about high and tight. <laughs> high and tight. Well, I did get a haircut yesterday. I know. I can tell. I'm, I'm gonna cut my own in, right after the show. I'm cutting my own. My hair's so gross. Yeah, so. once we go into survival mode, like cutting our own. Well, it'll be difficult so. to get to a barber. All right, let's get <laughs> let's talk about our guests this week. Our first guest is Mr. J. M. Giordano, Joseph, a photojournalist based in Baltimore and co-host of his own podcast, Ten Frames Per Second, which is, as you said, currently on hiatus. Uh, he is making his fourth on the show. Hey, Joe, what do you How's know? How's it going? We, we've actually we've act. Thank you for not making a Jimi Hendrix joke. Um, we've actually, uh, we've actually, we're going to change the name of our podcast to Across the Lens. Uh, we're going to discuss the diameter of lens. Nice. You know, I like not it. The radius. So I thought you were going to go straight no, through it. it. Uh, things, are, things are okay up here. How about uh, the radius of the, the lens? lens. The radius. I'm, I'm horrible. At um, I, I failed geometry. No, I'll be covering the election up here tomorrow for a local, and then possibly down in everyone's turf in D.C. tomorrow night for my photo agency, depending on. What pops off? Well, look me up tomorrow for or... sure. But yeah, yeah, I was I was gonna go to the press club. I'm a member of the National Press Club. I was gonna go to the press club and watch, but I got a I got an assignment up here. So there, there's we have quite a few pockets of possible voter suppression types um, mm, up here. Mm. So I'll be monitoring that all day. But if it gets if it gets hot down in D.C., I'll head right down. So okay. I'll thanks for it. having me, Dave. Sorry. <laughs> it's always great to have you, JM. You're such a ray of sunshine. Thank you. Yeah, you, you guys can call me Joe. The, the JMs because there's a another artist up here. We have the same name, and it was it was legit becoming a local issue. Like so, I go by JM. He goes by Joe. Anyway, yeah, like he was commenting. He, he's a he's a curmudgeonly old man. He was commenting on someone's Facebook page, and I had to go on. Like, this is not me. Stop asking me. Like, no, it's not me. So. But you guys can call me. Joe's fine. Yeah, I'm never sure. Because they meet, I, you, I they meet you in person and go, you're a lot much nicer than I thought you would be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a friend of ours and a you know, friend of the show, C.S. Muncie, right? He, he likes to go by C.S. But I also call him Chris because that's his name. And so it, when, when it's like when I'm around him, I call him Chris because that's how I know him by or whatever. I just happen to know his first name, so I say it. But everybody else calls him CS, so it's like it, it throws him off when I call him by his first. He's so used to be calling CS. So it's good to know what you like to be. I never, I never am sure people who use their first two like that. I should go by DJ Murphy. DJ. So Penelope it is. Penelope, sure. <laughs> Penelope Cruz Murphy. <laughs> Our other guest tonight joining us for his second appearance, welcome back, is Mr. Daniel Dreyfus, who is based in Santa Barbara, California. Hey, Dan. How you doing there? Good afternoon. Hey. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me on again. Um, it's always fun to be on Around the Lens. Um, nice to meet everyone. Yeah. How's everything going so in California? I, I, Is it still fires burning good. over there? Uh, not so much anymore. There, um, there was one yet, or, uh, give it a day. Saturday, but it, it give it a day. Yeah, it turned out to be pretty small. But um, you know, Santa Barbara is not really that exciting compared to where everybody else is. Um, so we're not expecting much voter suppression or. Uh, or riots or violence of any sort, really. There might be a protest or two, but it's usually pretty small. Right. Um, so, but if it gets pretty crazy, I might go down to LA and, and see if, it, if stuff really starts going off um, down there. But, you know, I'm just as nervous as everybody else about this. And, you know, it's a busy day for all photo, all journalists, really. And, you know, it's one of those things where it's like this could be a great historical event, but also a very sad historical event. <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, but it's been interesting to document it up to this point um, and, you know, seeing locals and just, uh, you know, there's definitely a divide and uh, definitely I, I definitely see more people active in the community about voting and stuff, which is good, you know, um, compared to last elections and stuff. Uh, more people have voted in this election already than ever before. So that's that's a good sign. You know, people are voting. That's not some important yeah. thing. Yeah, so, you know Absolutely. we're going to see a record of your age, so yeah. tremendous. Yeah, there's at a hundred million as of tomorrow will pre-voted, which is wow. un unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. Excuse me. Well, I was looking at the eligible uh, eligible adults. There's like mm -hmm. 255 million. Hopefully, we can get over that 50. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, we've got a great f show for you all today, and so we're going to be talking about a couple different topics. First one I want to bring up is 
David Allen Harvey, a magnum photo controversy. Uh, we talked about this episode a while ago. I'll bring it up here and tell you which episode that is. Um, but essentially what happened, David Allen Harvey was suspended for his photos that he took in nine teenage sex work. And when we talked about, they're very provocative in that, you know, it almost looks like he, while he's sex were working and they're coming, it's just very sus, as they say, as the kids say, if you've played Among Us, right? And so uh, because of this photo debacle, if you will, the Magnum Photo Agency has decided to suspend Mr. Harvey for a year. So he will not be a part of the program. But, you know, if you read this article, there's obviously a good chance that he'll come right back program for a year. And I personally think that essentially this is a cooling off period and a hope that when he does come back, forgotten. But uh, let me throw it out. And I also like to throw it to our guests first. So uh, I'll throw it over to you, Daniel, since you haven't been on as Joe. And you can kind of give us your uh, initial impressions of story and kind of what you of Magnum. Well, I mean, I also read, you know, he was also being accused of inappropriate conduct um, towards a female co worker or right. someone um, and I think that's really the more important issue about his conduct, conduct as a photojournalist towards other people in general but also towards women um, the, the photos like without seeing them and like I only saw the one on uh, the article um, I do think that there is a sense of he's taken his role a little bit too far and seeing that he's in the room, they're coming at him, he's not you know, in a sense, promoting it, but he's also not doing anything to show that there's an element of what can we do to help these people or what can we do to help these girls? Um, you know, this was also, you know, 1988. So, I mean, it's been a long time since these photos have been there. I mean, they've been there on Magnum for years. So seeing them, and this isn't the first time a photojournalist has documented underage sex workers. I mean, I somebody won an award, you know, two years ago for the same type of thing of underage sex workers or underage marriage. Um, I mean, I know I've seen the story over and over again, but like, yeah, I mean, I guess it's the context of the photos that really has to be examined and his behavior towards those girls, but also towards, you know, women now um, really has to be examined. And that's really the investigation is that these photos are historical documents, but they're also, you know, his role in in doing it um is did he take the appropriate steps to see what legally he could do to stop it or bring it to authority or did he report it did he report it to authorities in in thailand or wherever he was um you know it, it does remind me i was on assignment in uh in colombia last year um and we were doing a story on venezuelan refugees and when the Venezuelan refugees that came in that were pregnant, the women that were pregnant had children, they became Colombian citizens, so they got all the healthcare, everything. Um, and we went into, we got a lead from someone and we went into this this girl's house and she was underage. I mean, she ended up being 16 years old. And obviously I didn't take the same type of pictures in any way, but we met her her boyfriend who was the baby's father who was 25 years old. And, you know, we immediately went through the proper steps through the UN to report this, to file the paperwork, to provide the photos right away, to provide, you know, all the recordings. I did some videos, so I, I, everything was turned over immediately to the proper channels. And, I mean, I'm sure in 1988 there was a different procedure, but at the same time, should we still be publishing these photos? Should we still be using these photos? And I don't think, you know, without seeing them, it, it's hard to say what context, but um, I think the bigger issue, and I, I think there should be a no, uh, a no tolerance clause in Magnum's bylaws, which they refuse to publish because they're right. top secret, apparently. <laughs> um, I know, right? About, about sexual harassment and allegations. Um, and there should be a proper investigation that, and they, if they find that the, the young lady or whoever is, you know, made these, um, accusations, if they find that they're credible and that they're they're real, he should be kicked out of Magnum, and I don't think he should be brought back. I think that, you know, um, there needs to be standards. I mean, most of Magnum is a lot of white guys. I mean, it's not... Um, so, I mean, yeah, I, I, I do feel... I don't think that a year-long suspension and removing his photos from the cachet is punishment enough i think there should be a real investigation and from an outside party from 
not within Magnum, but hire someone outside an investigation, you know, a private detective or someone else um, and see what they, how, you know, the situation that he was in or put this young lady in and find out what happened um, and go from there. Absolutely. And I think, you know, you bring up a new point, which is duty to report, right? You mentioned, right. hey, if you witness a crime, if you see a crime, you should report it. And I think that's interesting because obviously we're going to be approaching a time here of riot and protest and whatnot, potentially, potentially crime has been committed in front of you as a photographer covering a protest. You know, what's your stance there? If you're out there covering a protest and you witness a crime, do you report that? Do you report that to police if you see a rioter, you see, you know, again, breaking the law? Well, that's a, that's a good question. Um... Uh, you know, to, for me, I mean, I, I've had this, so there's a, a student newspaper here in Santa Barbara that refused to publish photos or video of anyone's face during the protests without their permission. Um, and I do think that there, you know, there is a duty when at a protest, if someone's breaking a window and you capture it, you know, that, that you know, if it's a good photo, it's going to get published. So people are going to see it. Um, I don't think you know, and that's their choice to do that. I think a lot of times within this, you know, ladies or young ladies being tra sex trafficking, it's not their choice to be there. And I think there's a difference between, you know, those ladies being forced into this and him documenting it versus someone on the streets breaking a window because that is their choice to be there breaking the window in a public space. So, I mean, I, I see what you mean. And it, that is a, a very interesting point. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think... It, it comes down to does this person have the choice to be in this situation? Um, you know, well, um, I, think, I think you, you know, that's an interesting point. But I mean, the person whose window is broken didn't have a choice in their window being broken, right? right for their business, you know, they're going to incur a cost for that. You know, if their business is worse or looted or burned down, you know, they didn't choose to have their business you know, affected by a potential protester or a rider. And I'm just trying to determine if there is, a, if we're going to equivocate a double standard for, you know, or, you know, put one broken law over higher of another broken law. You know, obviously sex trafficking is an extremely horrible thing and it should be reported, but I'm just trying to you just kind of understand where the line is there, you know. Certainly, I feel like this is not comparing the same sorts of things. And we do have different degrees of crime, like there's murder, there's manslaughter, and we do look at crimes in different ways. So I think even like grouping children who are the victims of sexual abuse in the same category as, you know, looting or while that may also be a crime, I think we have to be very careful here to separate like what role a journalist plays in documenting these two scenarios. Because I would say, yes, you may be duty bound to protect a child who is the victim and powerless of sex trafficking, even as a human being. Um, what is your role in, if you witness something like that? As a journalist, and to Daniel's point, and you're out there witnessing, you might be taking a photograph of someone breaking a window. Our duty isn't to go to the police, but we are out in public and we're documenting an action that is happening as a journalist and that may be published. We can't like act as the investigators of crimes. That's not our role. But if someone is in public and that photo happens to be published and the police then use it from the public record without, you know, subpoenaing, which they can't really do or they try to do from newspapers or wire services, but journalists avoid, you know, do not willingly give uh, give out you know, notes or, or images or anything um, that haven't been published. So, you know, we as the media, we have to protect ourselves in this situation is not our duty. And it, and it, and it's dangerous to put journalists in that position of having to report crime. So we have to, you know, be careful. Um, so we're out there to, you know, document the news and it's not our role. Like people could even question like are riots, you know, are they freedom fighters or are they, rioters i mean everything can be looked at through a different perspective and 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 uh i mean i think probably most people would you know wouldn't say that well i'm not going to put words in anyone's mouth i mean i think you know crime there are crimes and 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 vic people are victims and store owners and things like that but i just want to be careful because we as journalists we play an important role and we have to be independent so um it's it's just it's almost you know worrisome to to put us in that category that we're somehow supposed to be part of the criminal or justice angle of the current, you know, currently what's going on with all kinds of protests, Black Lives Matter protests, and now with potential election related protests. So that's my two cents. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you bring up the interesting point, like there's different levels of crime, right? So are you saying that if the crime is heinous enough, then there is a 
you know, there should be a willingness by the photographer, photojournalist to put themselves in a position where they're now being the crime reporter or, you know, it's under no circumstances should they put themselves in where they're going to be reporting to. I think we need to sort of step back maybe and look at the bigger picture of how we're defining this. And so obviously, you know, semantics and all this is important. And I'm, I'm probably like walk, we're, we're putting ourselves into like a slippery, you know, slope situation here, but basically we're journalists. And when you're a journalist, you're documenting something and often you witness things that the average uh, member of the public can't witness. And it may be illegal, but that is not our role as a journalist. Really. We're here, we're here to, I, I hesitate to even use the word expose, but to illuminate because expose maybe has a negative con connotation, but you know, it could be a war, which could then be considered a war crime. It could be, you know, a, a drug deal. But you want to look at issues of social, you know, problems in in, you know, urban or whatever rural areas where the economy or poverty or things that lead people to do drugs. We're there to, like, look at the social impact and like the impact on human beings and to show people what is happening in the world and write about it with a certain angle or take, but it's not really our role. Even if it, we are, we have the privilege of seeing things in our role as journalists that may or may not be legal, but it's not really our role as journalists to, you know, be the law or the jury or the judge or whatever. Like we're just there to, explain things and document what's happening. And, and I think all of our work we've done and seen things that, you know, it's just, we're doing them as journalists and they're, you know, other people might not get to witness, but we're privileged to. And then you put it out there in the world and you let other people read, understand, get an idea about and, and make a, then, you know, make their own judgments about an issue. Plan to go out my next photo shoot and be like, I am the law. <laughs> I take people's pictures. I photograph people doing drugs. I photograph yeah. people, you know, I mean, it's it's not my job to say, hey, this person. No, once, once you, uh, you know, make yourself the eye of whether you're turning someone in or not, you also put yourself in danger of people seeing your camera and saying, well, they might turn me in and you're putting your life in danger. You're putting yourself and your credibility. And, you know, it's like, no, you're there to be an eye for people that are not there. You're supposed to just capture the moments and be a historical document and, and capture things for people yeah, that just can, can't evolve, be there. Right? Like, we, we can evolve. Like, photojournalists can evolve. So I, I cover a lot of local protests here in Baltimore and DC and I'm in with like I'm I know a lot of the young activists right and they trust me to go out and take these pictures so when this whole movement of like you know don't don't get faces in there you know I I looked at it as a challenge I'm like all right so I'm going to give myself an assignment I'm going to shoot an entire protest without showing faces and the pictures actually came out much more interesting and I think stronger when I was using reflections and shadows and silhouettes against like there were so many ways you could do it and it actually made the photo series I did for this local publication stronger than just fist in the air holding a sign, right? Like, which is what 99% of it is. And on, like, the drug stuff, you know, when I was a photo editor at City Paper, I, I was contracted to do one large, long-term long photo essay a year. I did it for three years. And one of them that we, we did was we followed the heroin trade from Baltimore City out to the county. So when I look, when I when I... My editor and I sat down. One of the things I didn't want to do is I didn't want to do the James Knockway thing where it was like people nodding off and needles in arms because we've seen that already. Right. That's, I think that's lazy. I, I actually came away with better photos of users that weren't using but like in their personal spaces with like maybe a relative or two people that were in rehab, the dealers. Like I did get into a couple of kitchens where I was actually taking pictures of guys making the drugs which you never really see. So I got like in with that. It's on my website. Um, it's called, it's called corner to cul-de-sac. But, but my point was, is that I think as photojournalists, we have, we have to evolve. Right. I mean, or other, or otherwise it's laziness. Like I, I've got, I've got the time magazine issue that Knockway did, you know, the whole issue dedicated to him in black and white. And it was all full of people that one couldn't give their consent that were knotted off, that had needles in their arms. And how is that original? Like, how, how is that interesting? Because everyone knows, like, that's part of it. Okay, we got that. You know, there's a Magnum guy who's doing a whole series on opioids in America, and it's all people nodding off on street corners. Like, how is that anything? I mean, we've seen that, you know? And as far as, like, the, you know, the, the David Allen Harvey stuff goes, I mean, that, you know, first of all, one of the keywords was vulva, okay? So Magnum can just fuck off with, like, they're, they, they, need to, they need to redo their whole archive, right? If you're going to have the, that keyword, give me a break. You know, these are, these are the old entitled guys 
that think that they can do no wrong. I mean, look at Steve McCurry. If right. I, if you and Evelyn and Travis and Daniel and David and me sent a freaking photo to the Washington Post that had people or a signpost taken out, we would never work in this business again. We would never work it again. It's white, it's old white guy privilege, and it's got to change. So Harvey, okay, kick him out. Good, get rid of him. Get someone young in there. Get get a, a woman or you know a, someone else is not an older white guy to get in there. But I, I spoke to at the March on Washington. I spoke to a Magna member who's a a good friend of mine in real life, and he's he's a he's a younger member, very younger. And he said that there there is this internal dialogue with the with the young members like fighting against these old guys, you know, that don't see why, you know, a, a, a Thai bordello, you know, underage prostitutes is a big deal. Like, and, and honestly, a lot of it's European. A lot of this pushback is European. Like Americans, and, and maybe Evelyn can back me up on this, but have this double standard, right? Like they will never show bodies in the street like they will show in the Philippines, right? Like David, what's his name? Doug, the uh, guy that got the Pulitzer or something, for the Philippine drug killings, right? right. There's pictures right. all over the front it's page. Like, of the it's like we're more accepting of minority foreign well, bodies as opposed to U.S. bodies. Exactly. It's the other. So, you know, the, these publications will run a, a photo by Harvey of like a Thai bordello, but they would never run an American victim of child prostitution in the way they ran those right. pictures. There, there's a systemic issue here that's got to be changed from the ground up, right? The problem, like I said, is, is Europe. Europe still has this thing where... They, they see things with a more colonial eye than we do. I, I lived in Prague um, for almost five years as a journalist. And I can tell you that, you know, they see they, they don't have any problem with, you know, Venus William caricatures, right, or Jewish caricatures. You know, they, they still they still sneer at things like that. They don't have any problem with really exploitive journalism. So that's the pushback that some of these agencies are getting. I know this from talking to this individual that are getting is from the European side. You know, the American side is like, look, get them off the site, get rid of those tags, you know, change this up. But the European side is pushing back, is, you know, saying like, we're photojournalists, we we do that. And as far as like getting involved goes, I mean, you have the Keith Carter conundrum, right? You got a kid in front of a vulture. Do you help the kid out or you just take the picture and leave? You know, Tim, like, and Dave's gone. I lost him. I lost him. He's like, this guy, screw this guy. He's just, he's on a soapbox. I lost him. I lost Dave. Um, I lost you, Dave. Sorry. I'm going to get off my soapbox. But but Tim Hetherington said you should be a human first and a photojournalist second. You know, and, and like Evelyn just said, there's a difference between like witnessing a murder and witnessing like windows being broken. Right. That's a, that's two different things. You know, like um, what's his name? Uh, uh, Carter's contemporary. The other guy from that. Anyway, you know, he 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 took a picture. He stopped the guy from being killed by taking pictures of the guy trying to do the killing in South Africa. Right. So I think there, there are instances when we, we can get involved. We just really, and I mean, hopefully we don't, you know, we don't really see things like that in America. Where we have to get involved like that because we don't really have, you know, we don't really have situations like that where that happens, like right. political killings and things like that. You know, I mean, anyway, that, that's it for me. I, I'm out. See you guys later. <laughs> I've spoken all my stuff. I'm, I'm going to do Mike. a quick shot. Cheers. Yeah. No, I mean, obviously, you bring up very important topics that uh, you know we've we've battled with, and as as, as photojournalists, as people, as uh, you know, anyone that is a, a thinking person would battle with. You know, it's like how far and what is the responsibility? It's like, you know, it, is it your responsibility, like you said, to to help the kid or to take that picture? And uh, you know, it, it's a hard one to do. You know, it's like it's if you're supposed to be over there, you know, capturing these moments. Uh, you, you can't do both a lot of the time, so you can't try, and, and, and it, maybe it's not your responsibility to do it. And people don't know the full situation of what's going on in the picture of whether you could have helped or not. Um, uh, people obviously are going to draw lots of their own conclusions of, you know, the, the old hindsight of, well, I would have done this, I would have done that. But you know, in, in a situation, it's very different than what you're doing at the present time. So it, it, this is the type of conversation that will go on for episode after episode after episode after, you know, in, in learning environments and in, in education. In, uh, in the offices and uh, for, for, for a long time. It's a very big topic. I, th I think, too, just Travis's point, I mean, sometimes you become a journalist because you're going to use journalism only to maybe tell that story or expose something. And that may be the only role that you have. Like, even to say, oh, you should help that girl or you should do this. You don't really know. And we can't speak for... You know when a, you know what line and when a journalist is able to cross that line and yes if you can help like tim hetherington said and 
what you know, Joe, all those examples Joe mentioned. But at the end of the day, you know, when you're working as a journalist, right? That's your first. That's that's the first thing you're doing um, to get out there and and and, and show what you're showing. And and it is hard to be in that position. And then people have all these expectations, and you never, you know, you never really know. But I. But the role of journalist as advocate is a maybe another topic for another day. But that's a role that journalists are being put into, especially with what's going on politically. Yeah. And that's a whole nother yeah. discussion. Like, where do you fall in? And, and like you all said, we can talk about this on and on, <laughs> so many different iterations, but it is, it's, let's be wary, let's be careful of the roles that we place journalists. And when we combine journalism with advocacy or active, you right. know, because that's a, that's a, it's a gray area. So I just like to kind of keep on top of that. Absolutely. And, you know, when you kind of talk about gray areas, it's almost like it's up to the individual photojournalist what their sort of level of involvement want to have. And the grid, heard about the, the lawful, neutral versus the chaotic, good, neutral, and the grid. So if you look at that, there's lawful, good, true, neutral, chaotic, evil. You know, it's kind of like what we use to... You're going into, like, Dungeons and Dragons stuff here, brother. No, I mean, this is something, you know, <laughs> you see rolling. I'm going to roll. I'm going to be chaotic evil. <laughs> like different types of characters in movies and stuff or TV shows. You kind of yeah, can put them into these little boxes. And that's what I was thinking of, like, where do you fall on this spectrum? But, uh, I mean, obviously, it's not a black and white answer or a black and white issue um, for some people, you know, obviously. But it's definitely something that we as real journalists will all have to face in terms of what we, we capture and how we want to make those. But let's uh, let's go ahead and move on to our next topic today. Um, it is about a piece of gear. Uh, it is the Mega Dap Leica M to Nikon Z autofocus adapter. Uh, I was really hoping to have Zach. He's the one who actually suggested this topic. So I was hoping to have him on this because, you know, of course, he's the Nikon user among us. Uh, Daniel or Jay, uh, Joe, do you use Nikon or what, what cameras do you guys use? Yeah, I'm, I'm a Nikon. I'm a Nikon. Okay, so this might have some interest to you, but essentially what this adapter does, it allows you to turn any manual lens to an autofocus. So I was just thinking to myself, is this something I would use or do I care about? I don't use manual lenses myself very often, but I have to imagine you know having this capability now from your manual lens would definitely be good, if not you know intriguing or you know valuable. Um, you know, JM or Joe as our Nikon, do you have uh, any thoughts on piece of gear? Is this something you would use? Um, I would have liked to have Nikon disease just make my other lenses work instead of me going to a third party and buying this adapter. Um, <clears throat> I'm actually not, I, I, I'm not, I've never been an early adapter and it was like, okay, I'll buy, I, I have the, I have the Z6 and early adapter. And now it's like, I should have just waited, right? Because everything you know, this is what this is what makes me mad about the digital industry. Like yeah. they they knew how to put two slots in, right? They knew they were going to have to have adapters for like manual lenses. Just put it in. I know they got to make money, but just put it in there. Like the battery life on the Z is horrible. I've been waiting to vent about this to somebody, but um, but now they have these, right? I I I looked it up when you sent the show notes, Dave, and it's like, why couldn't Nikon just continue with what they were doing or make an adapter that wasn't four hundred bucks? To do this, I mean, I'd love for my 50 and my 60 millimeters Nikkor lenses to work on my Z, but because if they don't, I'm, I use my 750, which is a fantastic camera, so I don't really need to use my Z that much because I can, you know what I mean? Like, it's, I don't know. I, I was disappointed. <laughs> yeah. What did you think of the Z6 and Z72? Were you considering getting those or upgrading? No. I mean, what, you know, what, why would I? You know, I. You know, except for the two card slots, right? It's still, you know, and and maybe Ellen can 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 talk about this a little bit too. But like my um, you know, my, no, but no, but no, 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 no. Hang on. No, but my 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 photojournalism friends, right? People that shoot every day for a publication. It's not fast enough. It's not a good enough camera yet to really use for like everyday photojournalism, which is why I have two 750 bodies and one Z6 body. You know, so. It's it's kind of I feel a little bit like yeah I probably didn't need to buy it the the print the picture quality is amazing right you know and, and I'm not a bells and whistles photographer I don't use all these settings I shoot in manual you know um, except for like white balance or something like that like I don't use the other stuff you know oh. like I you know my 750 is set to manual and it's like I still think that's the best camera Nikon's made in the, the 750 full frame. Excellent. You guys are all cannon shooters by the condescending look. Yeah, sorry. It's a variety. No, I'm, a Sony, I'm a Sony shooter. Oh, Sony? Oh, Sony's? Yeah. Are, are you? Okay. So, Evelyn, what do you shoot with? Cannon. Yeah. Cannon? I, okay. Yeah, I shoot 5D Mark IVs. 
and I tried the Sony digital and mirrorless. I mean, it was great. And I tried the R5 mirrorless. It was also great. So, yeah. But I'm not much of a gear. I mean, I love my 5D Mark IVs. I've had them since they came out, and they're great. And I'm the very scared to buy a mirrorless camera. Like, within a week, I'm going to do it. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. I'm the same way. I, I use my cameras. I mean, I had a 5D Mark II for until it literally died. And yeah. I was like, well, and by then they had the 5D Mark IV. And I was like, oh, well, I guess I have to buy a new camera. And it's like, I, I mean, I'm the same way. I mean, I have a 7D Mark II um, just because I use it for sports. It's fast. It's it's good. It, it, I know how to use it. Like, there's no, I mean, what's the reason for upgrading until it breaks? Like, or like, I, I mean, I'm not going to spend the money. I mean, the R5 is what, almost $4,000. Like, I mean, we're yeah. photojournalists. I mean, we're not... <laughs> So, um, and I just, you know, it, it's, it's something, you know, that's a whole new system too. That's me learning a whole new system and how to use it and with the 5D Mark IV. I mean, it's a great camera. The image is great. The focus is fast enough. I, I know how to use it. Um, it fits all my lenses. You're going to love uh, the R5. It's not a new system to learn. Having just used it, it's okay. like, just switch I, right away. Yeah. It's just, you, it works. Yeah. My 7D Mark II is almost at like 200 so I, it's I, on the verge yeah. Um, but yeah I mean it's like but then you have to buy the adapter and or the new lenses and it's like the lenses are almost as much as the body it's, still like it's, yeah. and it's like I get it they have to make money um, but yeah I mean and people always ask me like oh well what do you use it's like I use Canon because I started using Canon in high school yeah. and I bought a lens and then I had to buy a new camera for college so I, I already had a lens so I just bought another Canon and so forth and so forth and now i'm stuck with canon so i mean um and i i'm not We're one of those guys fashion people of this show, of this show yeah. the gearhead yes yeah. clearly that's yeah. dave dave and travis territory <laughs> yeah I, I i am so far from a gearhead like i have all the lenses i need i will never buy another lens i don't think i think i've got all the ranges i want uh i, I don't carry you know Photographers like Devin Allen shoot with like a Sony and a Leica and end up on the cover of Time magazine. I've got friends that shoot for like AP that feel they have to carry four bodies with really long lenses for some reason. You know, I, I just I, I go out with I usually go out with one body. I usually take one D750 out. Um, and my it depends on the, the assignment, but I have that 17 or, or, or 28 to, to, to 300 millimeter lens which I've blown up for like 40 by 50 size on a picture. And that's, you can't tell me that it, you know what I mean? I, it's just the way I am. And so when I bought the Z6, I was like, okay, you know, I, I'll upgrade and see how I like it. But with this new adapter, I wish Nikon would have just done that in the first place. You know, it's just, for, I don't want to buy another $400 piece of equipment, you know, that should have been there anyway, because Nikon's known for that, right? They're known for that, the, the mounts, you know? So I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> Well, you know, Daniel, do you have any manual lenses? Would you use a manual adapter on a... That's a good question. Or, I mean, or there you, are Travis, lenses. as well? I mean, I don't know if either of you use manual. I do. <clears throat> I have a lot of legacy glass. Uh, I love finding... Uh, I love the flaws in older glass, and I think it brings, uh, you know, especially to portrait work or stuff that I'm doing, that it brings a wonderful quality to it. And uh, the wonderful thing about the mirrorless is that, you know, it has that, you know, the focus peaking and all that, so it's very fast to focus one of these manual lenses. Uh, the adapters, I think, <clears throat> they're kind of a, a neat little gimmick for people that maybe it's like, you know, don't really have the confidence to, sh uh, you know, quickly focus in manual and stuff like that or just want something. Uh, I think if you're, if you're a professional, you're going to try and get a native lens or something that uh, works very fast on your camera and not put that extra piece of something that could go wrong in between a lens and a, a camera. It just, uh, everything you add to it to, can can potentially backfire on you. Sure. So I think it, it's fun and it, it could be a fun part of a kit, but uh, I have no problem actually just putting a manual lens onto my camera. Yeah, no, I mean, that's one of the reasons, like I've got the new R5 system and you know, we're talking about like, okay, you 5D Mark IV, you, you adapt old glass, you use new glass. And I would always right. recommend using the native for Canon RF mount glass mm -hmm. that, you know, is designed specifically for the camera, even though, you know, they say you'll get zero performance loss in the old lengthy adapter. For me personally, I mean, when I came over the R5, I decided I'm going to go all new, you know, all support. It's kind of like when I went to Panasonic, 
for their micro four thirds system, I use Panasonic glasses. My personal philosophy. And also for the, I mean, the, the, your R5, it's a it's a higher megapixel camera from the other cameras, and the right. newer lenses are yeah. you know rendered and, and made to you know handle that. Where yeah. the older glass is not quite as much, so you're actually getting a little more out of it. You need that higher resolution glass. Did, did they say the? Did they say in the stats? I mean, how many do you lose over a half a stop? How much do you how much do you lose when you put these adapters? Zero. Nothing. Yeah. No, because like, it's just like it's just the, no, it's like, not like uh, it, because what you're doing is just uh, you know on on the lens you're you're just uh, adding that uh, piece that would normally be there on on the lens. Yeah. The only yeah. the thing is what happens with the mirrorless is you're you've now lost that 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 area in between the lens and the thing, so you're actually just putting it back in. So it's it's the same distance as it would be on your DSLR as the mirrorless. It's just because the you know the the mirror is so much closer to the the glass that you have to extend it, so you're not losing anything. Yeah. I would definitely use that little gadget. I mean, if I found older glass that I would, you know, want to play with or try out for portraits or stuff, I don't know how much I would use it, like, you know, out in the field or stuff. But I, I do like to play around. I mean, I, I, if I, you know, find another four by five, my last one broke. But like, you know, all that kind of old school stuff, like I love playing around with. So, I mean, yes, yeah. if it wasn't four hundred dollars and I can find some, you know, interesting glass to play around with, that would be. I mean. It would be, and that's you know, what I'm doing. I have a medium format uh, uh, digital uh, Fuji, and uh, I mean, just to buy those lenses are so expensive. But you can find all this great, you know, uh, you know, from Hasselblad to to Mamiya to Panasonic to to all these great uh, lenses that you know are incredible that are manual lenses to add. And so I just use those on my on my medium yeah. format. And I'm having a ball with them. Yeah, that's great. So we're all uh, mirrorless issues here, or will soon be, Evelyn. Uh, Daniel, I think you'll jump <laughs> yeah. over to the mirrorless world. Um, yeah, I've been looking at the, I mean, I've been looking at the R6 just because it's a little bit lower price and I don't see much of a difference other than the megapixels. Yeah. But, um, you know, because I, I don't, I mean, I shoot for newspapers and wire services. So, I mean, um, you know, I, so I, I'm looking at it, uh, and I think when my 7D Mark II goes, which is pretty soon any day now, um, I think I'll probably jump over to the mirrorless. Only because that's where it's going, and yeah. you know, I thought about buying another Mark IV, but um, yeah, I, I think you know, getting you know, trying out the new system, and for this, you know, for almost the same money, it's worth you know trying out. Um, have you guys used the R6? Is it different? Much different? I've just used no. the R5, R5, and R5, so is yeah. Evelyn. And I, yeah. I think a lot Travis of people love the R6. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people love the R6, and if you're not, I think there's some subtle video differences with it, right, um, right. and uh, and um, just obviously the resolution. But other than that, it's a fabulous, fabulous camera, and a lot of people are doing that, exactly that, getting that camera because they don't need all the other. Yeah, if your focus right. is photography, I, the R6 is fine. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't shoot 8K video, yeah. so yeah, no, I the R6 it. should be perfect for <laughs> you. Yeah. Differences though, because I would love to get a cheaper camera, and I don't really care about the video either. But I was think I was like comparing the specs and there, there was a reason I wanted the R5 over the R6. Huh. I don't know if it's faster or what the deal was. Well, I mean, you get all that extra range with the megapixels, you know, I mean, if that's your right. your photographer as well, the R6, R5 is a, is a wonderful option because you get that so much ability to crop in and work with that you know, such high sense. I've been loving fresh air whenever I go through, especially any megapixel 5. Mm -hmm. but anyways, let's go ahead and move on to our last topic this day. Uh, this is a tutorial I found about how to make your own hardcover port uh, photography portfolio, which made me think, are these things even really relevant nowadays? I remember back when, you know, I had left the Marine Corps and I was going to New York City and I was looking for a job in the world of photojournalism. You know, I had my printed portfolio with my big prints and whatnot and a sort of you know, book that you know, I didn't make it myself. It was the photos into it, but still. You know, that was something you kind of had at the time. Like that was, you know, when you went to college or you went to school for photojournalism, you had to have your physical portfolio and that was a thing. But I don't know, is that really relevant now today in 2020? Do people really care and have a have to have a printed thing out in the world of, you know, high speed Internet and you know, video and you know online websites and stuff like that, which, of course, existed 15, 20 years ago when I was you know going to college for work. But still, again, is this something any of you would actually you know still participate in or have or as a printed portfolio if you asked that question you know eight nine months ago it would have been a different answer now in the days of covid and uh people not uh, meeting up and, and and exchanging things like that it's a very different world right now so uh i mean that's you have to kind of gauge on what's happening right now is it uh, you're, so is it ne necessary to have that right now no it's not but uh, uh 
right pre-COVID, yeah, I would say it's still important to have that, uh, especially if you're meeting with advertising people or sitting down. People like to, to look at a book and you can leave a book behind. And yeah, a lot of people will say, oh, I don't mind looking at an iPad or I don't mind looking at a website. But uh, a lot of them will still tell you I, they, they really do enjoy looking at the, a well put together a book. I agree. I, I mean, I think there are photo editors out there that would love to sit down with you and go through a book. Um, I know at the Palm Springs Photo Festival, like every year, all, all of those are mostly printed portfolios. And some of the work, I mean, is just really, you know, I, I one one photographer I saw, he just his work printed was just so much better than looking at his website. And um, but yeah, with the days of COVID and like trying to schedule those meetings, like it's just not. I don't until after COVID. But um, I mean, I'm a I'm a huge fan of printing photos. So um, I mean, I print photos to hand out or um you know every now and then somebody wants a print of something so i i print it at home um so i'm a huge fan of printed photos i think you know it's always great to see them not on a computer screen um exhibitions i love going to photo exhibitions i love having photo exhibitions so and that's just you know having that printed portfolio sometimes is a benefit benefit to you um especially for a young photojournalist like i mean i remember reading a story a couple years ago about somebody who just made the little tiny like square books and sent it out to a bunch of photo editors and they thought it was really clever and then um but yeah i mean it's it's hard now i mean a lot of photo editors are just don't have the time and don't want to you know they they barely look at a website so um yeah but i i do think it's uh i do think it's still something you know that we should keep alive Okay. I, I can speak a little bit about this. Not that I show one, but I put in, okay, let's just put this in a post COVID world because, um, yeah, when obviously we're not meeting in person, we're not really able to share our photo books. But for example, when I, when I run, used to run the portfolio review for women photojournalists of Washington and you're sitting face to face with an editor, I think it's fine to show your work on your laptop, but it's also fine to show your work, you know, a printed book. And that's a great place. And I think in a way, although I, I, I personally would show my work on my laptop, I did see a ton of people with prints or photo books. And there is something like nice to have the photo editor really like interact with an image and hold it and bring it closer to their face or really, you know, engage it with the image in a different way. Um, so I would say that there's still value in that, but it, it it's for like the face to face interaction and i would think too like do you think your work will show better in a printed or will it look better you know online um and and sometimes like digital and the in the like the lap the back you know the lighting of the computer screen can really make something pop um you know maybe your prints aren't as it, it, i think you know use it like do whichever is going to show off your work the best but i would say that there are certainly um there's still a need there's it would totally work if you're able to have a face-to-face, -face, you know, meeting um, with with someone. And um, you know, I send out like I don't do a lot of mailers or pro pro promotions, but I like to print too, Daniel. So like, I usually take yeah. like my best photo of the year or my favorite photo, and I will like print little five by seven cards and just for the holiday cards. And I just make my own, but I'll also send those to my editors, you know. And um, you know, there is something beautiful about the the, print, the printed image. So, um, yeah, I think the need exists. I would not do what this guy's doing on the video. I mean, that's like way too involved. Like I, that's not for me. I would probably send it away. I would print it on blurb or whatever, or I would yeah. just have a book that I slot, print my own prints and slide them into. I probably wouldn't do, um, this is just like, I don't have time for something like this, but if that's your thing, you know, great. And go for it. So, but I just wanted to speak to having witnessed a lot of portfolio reviews. I think, you know, if that's your thing, there's definitely a place for it. You know, and I want to make sure I mention this, uh, you know, Evelyn, you were recently honored by WPOW, uh, WAPOW, uh, in a, um, you were, you were a photojournalist a year, right? For the WPOW 14th it, annual juried exhibition. Best in show. I won best in show, which I thought was an honor reserved for dog shows, but Here. apparently also <laughs> thank you, Joe. So that was exciting. Yeah, I entered their annual exhibition, which I, I do most years. I haven't I don't do it every year, but um it was a strong year for me. I felt, you know, I had a lot of good work to show this year and um and I actually have a photo from 2019 one. And so I won Best in Show, which made me sort of laugh because I didn't know. I, apparently people use Best in Show, but yeah. So Did they make anyway, you do like great. the we little had, obstacle course? Yes. I, I'm really good at like the slalom. <laughs> so um, and the jumping <laughs> rings of fire, I suppose. Oh, um, nice. 
But you know, it's a bummer to win on a COVID year because we haven't had our ex. We normally have like a gal a party, you know, right. and a gallery exhibition. Yeah. And I don't know when that's going to happen. I hope one of these days. But we did a virtual online. I've never done anything like that. An online exhibition. And um, the Wapow leadership did a really good job um, of, of doing that. Um, but hopefully we'll get a, you know, a real exhibition going. Yeah, and, and Joe, aren't you involved with the university, with MICA, or do you teach? I teach uh, dark room or school for the arts. So I, I oh, teach black and white photography. Um, do to schools. So if there's well, a gallery. I've, I've been, because I'm not union, because I'm part-time and I'm paid by a foundation, um, mm. I can teach from my classroom, but the kids can't be there. So I have a great setup. I have my own dark room. I got my own studio. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but as far as a printed portfolio goes, I really think, you know, it, it depends on how high up the ladder, right? Like, you know, I, I wouldn't send Catherine at New York Times Magazine a USB drive, right? If I wanted to get New York Times Magazine, I would send a book, a printed of work, right? But, you know, like, and, and a lot of photo editors, quite frankly, I think people need to focus more who are professional and this is the way they want to go is curating their Instagram pages, like curating if, if your Instagram page is professional, mine's mine's ninety nine point nine percent professional, the work that I do. Um, so, you know, that's what you should be curating. And if you look at a lot of photographers that shoot for the Times and the Post, you know, their their Instagrams are on point because Time magazine, you know. Like look at Gabby's, like Gabriella Demzik, you know, look at her, you know, look, look at the work that Time Magazine publishes and then go to these Instagrams. And these Instagrams are way well curated, you know, um, that I think is kind of the future of portfolio. I don't even think it's websites. I mean, I, I don't think you think photo editors go to websites anymore because they, they, they end up finding people, right? Like the days of you dropping your portfolio off and be like, here's my cool pictures, hire me, I think are long over. Right. I mean, especially like Travis said, with COVID, you know, like there's no face to face. And, and right now, I mean, I don't know what the, what the Washington Post is like, but the Times and, and Time Magazine, The Atlantic, you know, they only hire like three different photographers, which is another. By the way, this is a great topic that I would love to talk about this on Around the Lens one day, like hiring. Because I, I, I asked on I asked on Instagram and I asked on Twitter and I got no responses back. And maybe Evelyn can maybe answer this question. How many photographers of color on the campaign trail? Well, versus, the versus how many, go ahead. Oh, oh no, there's been, well, I can't speak specific numbers, but the Washington Post did just hire two um, African-American photographers, hires, right. staff photographers. Okay. No, that, that's, that's good. That's good. But up, up until my question was asked, it was like, and I, I have a friend who's a New York Times, a couple of friends that shoot for New York Times that are um, we have actually mutual friends, Evelyn, and some of the photographers at the Post um, and New York Times. And I, I had asked one of my friends who shoots for New York Times regularly. He was covering the protests in D.C. on the march. And I said, how come you're not on the Biden campaign? And this is an exact quote. He said, that's for white photographers. So that 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 mentality is still there, because if it's a, a riot or a protest, hey, we need more black photographers on this. But when it comes to following presidents around. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, there's maybe one photographer of color at a, at a major organization, not locals, on a major organization following the candidates around. I bet you. I, Look I it feel up. like I'm the riot photographer. Like, I get the call to go to the riots. So I don't know what that says. But I mean, I'm at all the riots. It's like send Evelyn. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I hear what you're saying, and that may be valid, but I'm not sure I necessarily... Agree. I will agree that there are not enough um, photographers of color probably on the campaign trail, but I don't know if I would necessarily stereotype the riot, the riot thing. But, you know, everybody see, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm not the only I don't know. I don't I don't know what to say that. It's a tricky, a tricky, it's a tricky perspective. But I will say in general, there definitely is not enough diversity in political photography. Oh, no, a I thousand mean, percent. I I mean, across the board. Yeah. And and the thing that I worry right. about was if it wasn't for the George Floyd protests, would the, would the Post be hiring two black photographers? Like all this came out well, of we need to do more, yeah. you know, like where, where were you after Freddie Gray? Where were all these editors after Freddie Gray? Right. When the only when the only photographers I most of the photographers I saw in town were Freddie Gray, were photographers of color. None of them went. None of them cared. None of them were at Trump rallies. Right. They were they were, you know. I, again, this is a topic for Dave for another whole discussion. On <laughs> Who knows? Maybe we yes, will talk about top. it on our uh, our yeah. last episode of our 250. Uh, yes. What? Yeah. 
What did you just say? Hires and diversity, you know, I mean, like I've seen it. It's been happening. It's like, oh, crap, we are really dropped it. We are really behind the eight ball on this. And I've seen changes, but they've really been changes in like the last six months. And that's great. But is that too little? But, you know, people are also making the changes that are necessary. So that's a good thing, I suppose. But you're right. I mean, to your point, Joe, you're 100 percent right. Yeah. And I want to bring up something you said, Evelyn, that, you know, kind of made me think you were actually a bad omen. Because if you're at a protest, we know it's going to turn into a riot, <laughs> right? No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. But if, you, if you do see Evelyn at a protest, run. Run the other no, way. Yeah. No, but I don't know. Yeah. Or at least gear up. I'm just really hoping for quiet. I'm not one of those photographers that wishes for mayhem, despite no, my portfolio, mayhem and and mad. I would much rather sit home on my couch here and, uh, you know, have a peaceful night. So. Yeah. All right. Well, I think it's going to bring us to the end of this week's show. Uh, of course, I'd like to give the, our guests the opportunity to plug whatever they would like to plug. Uh, Joe, anything you want to plug? Um, I mean, I'm, my show at the Baltimore Museum of Industry has been extended through February or April, so that's good. Um, and I, I can't announce it now, but if I come on as a host, maybe in December, I might have a bigger announcement to put out there. So... Uh, something a project that I'm super super excited about, and it's going into 2021. You know, and there's nothing worse than getting a big travel grant and then COVID hitting. It's when yeah. you guys know <laughs> that. <laughs> I know, right? Um, yeah, a... my, my Instagram is uh, is JM Giordano Photo, so you know, check it out. If you like mediocrity and dog pics, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> check it out. And when do you think you'll resume your podcast? I don't know. It's a good question. I mean, you know. We were chatting before the show started recording about, you know, possible one about photo books, which I would love to do. Um, we don't know. You know, we I, I'm kind of angry that we missed the whole COVID. I wanted to have like Philip Montgomery on. And so, I mean, we're missing all these points in photojournalism that I want to talk about. But you we got just, enough equipment to do it from home, man. Don't don't rely on that equipment. <laughs> yeah, I know. But I mean, we have but I mean, we're, we were you know, we were kind of spoiled with like Loyola was our editor, you know, like the radio station edited, it, posted it, put it all on. You know what Bear. that sounds like to me? An excuse. <laughs> I'm a horrible human. Life coach. That's an excuse. Uh, uh, buy my next book on blurb. Yeah. <laughs> Well, whenever it comes back, we'll be looking forward to it. And, of course, you can all check out uh, Joe's backlog of podcasts. He's 75 episodes in, so you know it's going to be a long-running series, I'm sure. Uh, Daniel, where can people find out more about you and your work? Yeah, you can uh, visit my website. It's DanielDreyfus.com, um, D-R-E-I, and two S's at the end. Um, and my Instagram is PunkyKid, P-U-N-K-E-Y-K-I-D. <laughs> Um, it's kind of a funny, my grandfather, that's what he calls me, punky kid. Um, I've always been into punk, punk music and go to punk shows. So that's, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> where it came from. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I do a lot of, my Instagram is, you know, uh, Joe mentioned, uh, professional, but I do a lot of my street photography on use Instagram for that. Um, I do have some photojournalism stuff, but I, you know, I'm always out there shooting on the streets, which is really interesting to me um and i just got a new uh black rapid camera strap that has made it like way different and it's really helped with like just carrying the camera around in a fat like it's so fast it's it's a great uh i should have bought one a long time ago and it's a really great addition i i know that <laughs> i'm shouting out to black rapid but um yeah so yeah my website danieldreyfus.com instagram punky kid Nice. Yeah, I've got the Black Rapid double strap, and it's, it's so wonderful to use that when I've got two camera bodies on me. So I love that. Yeah. So if you get another body, you can tell yeah. them that's great. Yeah. All right. Uh, Evelyn, anything for us? Um, you kind of hit on it. I, I mean, I it last it happened last week, but it was cool to get Best in Show with Wapow. Um, Will that be online no, somewhere, like for those of us who weren't able to see it live? Um, I'll find out. I'll let you know. Yeah, I'd love to watch I'm that. I'm not sure, but... Okay, cool. Yeah, I would love. Um, I will let you know. We can post it on the website. Great. Otherwise, I'll be out there in election. Whatever will, whatever happens, we'll see. TBD. Um, you can follow we'll me at Evelyn Picks. Yeah, exactly. At Evelyn Picks on Instagram, and yeah, that's that's where I'll be. Travis, wherever. Just get out there and vote. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> get out there and vote. You have. I'd like yeah. to promote voting as well. 
Absolutely. And my black rapid vote strap that I want to uh, show off. <laughs> interesting question. Who here hasn't already early voted? Is there anyone who's going to vote on election day? Voted. Yeah, voted. so I, we've all voted. Already voted. Yeah, but it's interesting to see what it looks like on election day with all this early voting. I mean, will it be like quiet and tame or is it going to be the, yeah, the most massive lines ever, you know? Now that I waited four hours on a line, I could have just probably skated through in 15 minutes know, on, right? on the actual day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's kind of one of the, the bad things. They're not bad things, but, you know, one of the things about being here in South Korea is missing and being able to kind of put myself and seeing those situations live and in person. And, you know, if I were in the States right now, I probably would, you know, cover the voting story as well and, you know, cover yeah, the election, yeah. stuff like that. That would definitely you know, kind of have to do it from a distance. Don't we all, right? Anyways, it's such uh, a non-story, though. I know, right? <laughs> November fourth yeah, cannot yeah. come. Anyways, uh. it's been a great show. Thank you, guys and uh, ladies, for uh, being on the show. Truly appreciate it. If you'd like to continue the conversation or see what we're doing, go to AroundTheLens.com. You can find links to all of our social media, to include Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and all that fun stuff. You can leave comments on this post if you're on Facebook and, and let us know what you thought about what we're talking about. Do you agree? Do you disagree? Really would love to see your feedback and, of course, you know, respond to it. You know, We're always on there looking for responses. So if you'd like to support the show financially, we still got our Patreon that exists. Uh, AroundTheLens.com slash Patreon if you'd like to do a few bucks to us to get in advance. Otherwise, though, tell a friend. Uh, that's the best way to kind of increase the audience, you know, make sure that more people are listening to and gaining from what we're doing here. But, of course, next week will be episode 250, our five-year anniversary show, and uh, potentially our last episode ever. We'll see. Um, but, you know, tune in for that next week, Monday, November 9th at 4 p.m. Eastern. And hopefully get a big turnout and fun little celebration around. The so uh, that's about it for this week's episode. Uh, for I'd like to thank, of course, our guests, uh, Joe and Daniel. Thank you guys so much for taking time out to be on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank um, you for having me. Absolutely. Always welcome back. Always welcome back. And for Evelyn Hochstein and Travis Keys, I am David J. Murphy. This has been Around the Lens, episode 49, and we are out. Thanks for listening to Around the Lens. We hope you enjoyed the show. To continue the conversation, head on over to one of our social media outlets, such as Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or Twitter. To support the show financially, consider donating to us via Patreon. For show notes from this week's episode and links to everything else we talked about, just go to our website, AroundTheLens.com. Finally, if you or someone you know might be a good guest for the show, get in touch with us via email at info at AroundTheLens.com.